We're going to be in Psalm 66, as has been mentioned. So, back in the middle 1700s, there was a slave trader, most of us, or at least many of us know, John Newton, a lost pagan slave trader, and he came to faith in Christ. The Lord marvelously saved him, brought him to himself. And as the Lord worked in John Newton's life, John Newton eventually became a pastor and uh, there in England in about a hundred miles north and a little west of London, a little town of Olney, that's O-L-N-N-E-Y, Olney. It's a little uh, manufacturing town in that day, mainly working poor. And in this little town, uh, John Newton had a church, a parish church, and he wanted to have a hymnal for his people, often or mostly psalms were sung in churches in those days, and he wanted to have a hymnal, and he started out to work on what became known as the Olney Hymnal, and it's uh, very well known, um, about 300 hymns in that collection, and he wrote the majority of them. It, as uh, the Lord would have it, there was in his church uh, a man named William Cooper, that's C-O-W-P-E-R, pronounced Cooper, William Cooper. William Cooper was a poet. He was an intellectual, uh, a Hebrew and Greek scholar, and so he did a lot of work translating ancient uh, writings, things like that. But William Cooper uh, was also a hymn writer. Uh, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. That's William Cooper. He penned that song for the only hymnal. William Cooper struggled throughout his life with depression. And they say that uh, he would go into bouts of depression where he would sit for days and just stare out the window and struggled with despair and with depression. And as the Lord worked in his life, there's another song that he wrote uh, regarding his depression. It's called Light Shining Out of Darkness. You may have heard some of this. I've never heard it put to music, John. I'd love to. Um, But uh, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Give that a tune. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. I love that. His purpose will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain as William Cooper struggled with depression, and he realized that God was providentially working in his life uh, to uh, mold him into his own image. If you're like me, at times you've struggled and wondered about God's purposes in your life, purposeful sovereignty, God's providence, I'm calling that purposeful sovereignty. 
and his providence in your life, and that God orders our lives. And in the good times, when, when life's good, we're feeling good, and we've got an abundance of what we need, and uh, the family is healthy, and we're just feeling good about life, we hardly give it a thought. But then life turns and becomes difficult, and it's in those times when we start to ask questions, and we may struggle sometimes even questioning the goodness, the fairness, and dare I say sometimes we may even question the very love of God because life right now is just hard, and it doesn't seem right. And we need a heart like Job. He's not our topic, but we're familiar with Job, how the Lord God allowed the taking of everything that Job had, his children, his wealth, and his health. And then he's sitting in the ashes with a piece of pottery, scraping his sores. And his wife says there in Job 2, verse 9 and 10, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. It's the, it, it's the accepting of the good with God along with the bad or the easy with the hard. Uh, that's what Psalm 66 is going to bring to our attention and help us to understand the uh, providential oversight of a good God in our lives and in the lives of nations even. And so as we uh, dive into this here in a moment, it's, it's, the psalmist is going to call us to praise God for his provision and protection, even in the light of the fact that it was uh, God who brought the struggles on in our lives in the first place. Very interesting. Let me give you the four points we're going to look at, um, and then we'll, we'll dive in. So the psalmist is going to call us to come and worship. He's going to call us to come and see, come and praise God for his providence, his purposeful sovereignty, as I'm calling it, and then come and hear the greatness of our God. Let's pray together and we'll look at the text. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord God, uh, for the uh, wonderful time of worship that we've already had together this morning. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and, our, and resurrection, and the atonement for sin, the satisfaction, the propitiation that he provided for us. And, and Lord Jesus, it's your name that we exalt and lift up today. And Lord, we, we want to recognize this morning that life is often very difficult. And in all of the good, Lord, there are, there are a lot of struggles that we as people have. And we want to look at your word and, Lord, guide our thinking now as, as we uh, dive into this and help us to see that a good and a holy and righteous God is working out his purposes and, and we get to be a part of it. And Lord, we just want to say we love you and ask you to guide our thinking, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so Psalm 66, I'm going to read the first four verses, starting in verse 1. Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. 
Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. All the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. This is a universal call to worship. He says there, shout joyfully to God, all the earth. It's universal. It's all people, all voices, all tongues, all nations. Come and worship God. Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. We don't see this yet. But the day is coming, so it's a foretelling even of praise to come. It's a universal call. Look at there in verse 2. Sing the glory of his name. I've mentioned this to you before, but the name of God reflects the being and nature of God. And so when we see the various names given for God, particularly in the Old Testament, But when we see that, those names reflect the being and nature of God. So when the text says, sing the glory of his name, sing the glory of the attributes and nature of the living God. Glorify who he is. All true worship goes to God alone. He's the only one. No created item, no no created being, nothing higher than the living God, and he's the one we worship. And the text says, sing the glory of his name, make his praise glorious. One of our uh, elder meetings a couple of months ago, uh, one of our guys, we were, uh, on a regular basis, every week actually, we evaluate our services and even critique the sermon and all that stuff, but we were in one of our meetings a couple of months ago um, talking about worship and how we doing and how can we do better and what's good, what needs to be strengthened, those kind of things. And one of our guys, he said, you know, I just read an article uh, by John Piper. John Piper's retired pastor up there in Minneapolis. And uh, John Piper says that the spirit of true worship is gravity with gladness. Gravity, gravitas, weight. True worship, the spirit of true worship is weight, it's weighty, and gladness, that is joy. And so as we gather like we have this morning and we express our worship and our praise to God in all of our hearts, there should be the sense of the weightiness of the fact that it's gathered together, we're in the very presence of the living God and it's an awesome and a wonderful thing, but it's, 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 it's serious business. And a sense of gravity with gladness. I like that. All true worship. And the, the psalmist says, sing the glory of his name. Verse 3, say to God, how awesome are your works. We worship God alone, as I said. And we're overwhelmed with his providential works of power. And, and we could give testimony person by person of how God has worked and provided in our lives. And so we worship God alone, and the text makes it clear that even God's enemies, even God's enemies, your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. Even God's enemies are ultimately going to bow the knee and worship and glorify Christ. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, Philippians 2. And so... Every knee, that's friend, foe, that's spirit being, that's humanity, everyone will acknowledge Jesus Christ 
as Lord, and all the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. Uh, Exodus 15, 11, this is Moses talking to his people Israel. Who is like you among the gods, O Yahweh? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Who is like you? There's none like you. There's only one God. Our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is we know him, Yahweh God, the God who is, and we worship him today, and it's been a blessing already uh, to be with you folks and to sing the praises of this God that we glorify and that we see. The call is to come and worship. Now the psalmist, starting in verse 5, he's calling us to come and see. In my text, starting in verse 5, I'm using New American Standard today. Um, it says, come and see the works of God who is awesome in his deeds towards the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There, let us rejoice in him. He rules by his might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Come and see the works of God. Come and see what God has done. And specifically, remember God's mighty works in the past. Never forget what God has done in the past. There in verse 6, he turned the sea into dry land, that parting of the Red Sea. It shows up repeatedly in the Old Testament because it's the greatest work of salvation that the Lord God did in the life of the nation Israel. Think about it. They're up against the sea. They have an Egyptian army bearing down on them and we're all going to be killed and God parts the water and they walk through to safety. It's an amazing, amazing story. Moses wrote about this in Exodus verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 21 and 22. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land so the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. An incredible miracle, they say. Perhaps as many as two million people had to cross this Red Sea. There's a little sense of urgency. You know, you're, you're a mom and you've got all your kids and you're trying to herd them through because we've we got to get, get through here. We've got to get this done. And all the boys want to go over to that wall of water and poke their hand in and see if I can catch that fish. And I, You know, I don't know, but... We've got to get these people through, and there's a sense of urgency. But when you re go, go read that text this afternoon back there in Exodus uh, chapter 14, and you notice, remember the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day? You notice, when you read that text carefully, the cloud moved from in front of them and went behind them. God is standing between Israel and the Egyptian army. And they crossed through the Red Sea to safety. An incredible story and a great victory. What about us? What's the greatest victory that has ever been achieved in the life of God's people? The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're up against the sea of our sin and there's a holy God bearing down on us and we're going to be destroyed. And Jesus Christ parts with his blood through the sea of our sin and we walk through to the promised land with the eternity with, the, with God in heaven. 
because of the salvation of Jesus Christ, celebrate, never forget God's mighty works in the past. The psalmist is calling us to do that here. Remember what God has done. Never, ever forget, verse 7, his dominion will never end. He rules by his might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt himself. The all-seeing eye of God, we call it his immanency, his everywhere present. And he sees all that is before it happens. And he's there and he's aware of everything. And then he rules by his might as he orders our steps. No surprises in God's economy. Come and see the works of our awesome God. And we get here to verse 8. The psalmist uh, makes a little shift here because he's, he's going to draw us in now and talk to us about the providential working of God in our lives. So starting there in verse 8, Bless our God, O peoples, and sound his praise abroad, who keeps us in life and does not allow our feet to slip. For you have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid an oppressive burden upon our loins. You made men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you brought us out into a place of abundance. Did you catch that? Now, let me start back there in verse 10 again. For you, talking about God, you have tried us, O God. You, God, have refined us as silver is refined. You, God, brought us into the net. You, God, laid an oppressive burden on our loins. You, God, made men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, and yet you, God, brought us out into a place of abundance. Backing up to verse 8 now. Bless our people, O God. Bless our God, O peoples, and sound his praise abroad. God's praise must be heard. And what we did together here this morning is not an option. We have to be people of praise. But as we'll see here as we look at this, uh, at this text, that means we praise when life is good and we praise when life is not so good. We praise because God is good and we sound His praise abroad. The, the praise of God should be heard by the church because you know it is only the church who can truly praise. Now we know the creation, right? The creation, all that God has made, it's amazing. And that praises God. That praises God. No question about it. Natural revelation praises God. Even lost people in the image they bear bring praise to God. They can't help it. It might be backhanded or whatever, but the, uh, the things that are accomplished, the skills, it all brings praise to God's name. But it is only the church, the redeemed, who can truly praise God for what he has done. And the praise of the church should be heard above all the noise, 
all the confusion, and we got a lot of that right now, against all the opposition. Matter of fact, when opposition goes up, the church praises louder because Jesus is on the throne and Jesus has already won the battle. And so his praise must be heard, verse 9. He's the protector. He keeps us in life and does not allow our feet to slip. If you wake up tomorrow, so that assumes he lets you live another day. If you wake up tomorrow and you still love Jesus Christ as Lord, you still believe that he is God, he still loves you, and you're his and he's mine, if that's your circumstance tomorrow, that's the keeping ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. He's the one that holds. And so he does not allow your feet to slip. He keeps us in life, that's physical life, that's spiritual life. And he does not allow our feet to slip no matter what. He's the protector and the sustainer of life. But look at verse 10. You tried us, O God. You've refined us as silver is refined. I'm told silver melts 1,764 degrees. Today's tidbit of useless information. But the fire is hot. Got any hot fire in your life today? Yeah. God is the one who sends the refining fire. It's tried, we're, we, the fire tries or proves the genuineness. It purifies our faith and we're refined through the heat of, of, of uh, adversity so that the reality of our faith is the only thing that remains. It is God who brings us into the trials of life. You brought us into the net. You're in a situation and you're trapped and you feel like, I can't get out. And the psalmist says, God, you've done that. You laid an oppressive burdens on our loins, the center of our strength, and the weight that I'm feeling. It's God's hand that's allowing that. You made men right over our heads. We went through fire and through water, and the fire is hot, and I don't know what to do, and I feel like I can hardly get a breath because I'm drowning and I'm stuck in this. You, God, have done that. But then, mercifully, you, God, brought us out into a place of abundance. Our deliverances come from the Lord. Now, not all of our deliverances come in this lifetime. Some have uh, physical ailments that won't be solved in this lifetime. There are relational things. There are all sorts of hurts of life that won't be solved in this lifetime, but God will always, always, always bring us out to a place of abundance, and there's a day coming when all of that's going to be removed because I'm going to see Jesus face to face. I'm going to be like him because I'll see him as he is. And all of that will be gone. And you, God, have done that. Now, mercifully, many times in this life, Lord God does bring relief to our struggles and to our, our pains and our sorrows, and, and, and he allows us. But God has said, uh, it is the Lord who brings it into our life, but he has also promised uh, through the psalmist here 
that he will bring us out into that place of abundance. The Lord God will always deliver his people. Every time. Not necessarily according to my timeline. But ultimately, I will be delivered because I'll see Jesus face to face. Psalm 124, had, well, verse 2 to 4, had it not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the waters would have engulfed us. The stream would have swept over our soul had it not been the Lord God who was on our side. And it's an amazing thing. The Lord brings his people into adversity and he brings them out the other side and he's with them the whole way. Isaiah talking to his people, Israel, chapter 43, verse 2, when you pass through the waters, this is God speaking, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be discorched, nor will the flame burn you. It reminded me of Jesus. It's quoted in Hebrews 13.5. He himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. And your life is in the pit. There's a, there's a struggle you're in, and you don't know what to do. You don't know where to turn. You're drowning. The fire is hot. I don't know what to do. And Jesus says, I'm right here. I'm with you. I will never leave you or desert you no matter what. And that should make us praise. Look at verse 12 or 13. I shall come into your house with burnt offerings. I shall pay you my vows which my lips uttered and my mouth spoke when I was in distress. I shall offer to you burnt offerings of fat beasts with the smoke of rams. I'll make an offering of bulls with male goats. This reality that the Lord God is going to deliver me no matter what and he's the one that brought me in and he brought me out and so I'm going to praise him for it see there's a debt of grace that we owe and it's why and you've seen this I mean you you could give testimony of people in your life or in your church who, who in the middle of their struggle, they're still here, they're still coming, they're saying, I'm serving uh, by showing up, I'm in a struggle, I'm not, I don't like the struggle, but God, if I'm going to struggle, help me to do it well for your glory. And I trust you. Isaiah, a little further on there in 66 verse 2, to this one I look, will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. Do we tremble before the word of the living God? Realizing that as he brings us into life and into the struggles of life, he's promised to take us out the other side, and right there with us is the spirit of the living God within us. And Jesus said, I'll never leave you, no matter what. Come... And praise, we praise God, and so the saints can praise in adversity. The saints can praise when life is good and we're living large and we think we're fat and happy. We can praise God for it, and we can praise him for, for everything that he brings us because he's delivered us. Praise the name of God. The psalm, uh, he shifts here as, as he comes 
through this and helps us to see and, and that we need to praise. And now in verse 16, he says, Come and hear all who fear God, and I'll tell of what He has done for my soul. Come and hear all who fear God. He's talking to the elect. He's talking to you if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're one of His. He's saying, church, come and hear all who fear God. To fear God is to know God. To know God is to be one of His. And we fear God. And come, and I'll tell you, let me tell you what He's done for my soul. And life is hard right now, but God is good. Let me tell you what God has done for my soul. I cried to Him with my mouth, verse 17, and He was extolled with my tongue. Remember, this is in the context of going into the fire and the flood and coming out the other side. And now let me tell you what God has done and what He's doing. And I cried to Him with my mouth, and He was extolled with my tongue. Psalmist uh, says, if I coddle sin, it will impede or block my prayers there in verse 18. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But mercifully, verse 19, certainly God has heard. He's given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his loving kindness from me. And so the saints should be the ones who, who, who can cry out to God and worship and praise in those times of abundance, knowing that everything comes from His hand and we praise God for it. And in those times when we're, when we're struggling and we're wonder and there's need, and we turn and we praise God because we realize that He's the source and we can say, let me tell you what God has done for my soul. There is, uh, blessed be God, verse 20, who has not turned away my prayer nor his loving kindness. He wants us, and isn't, isn't that an amazing mercy that God has provided where he wants us to come to him with our needs and our prayer requests and, and, in, and our praises and come right into his very presence and uh, present to him what we see and what we, are, what we feel our needs are, knowing though that He knows everything and so His way is always best. When we come to Him uh, in, in prayer, uh, he's, in verse 19, He's given heed to the voice of my prayer. Do you know God hears every prayer that you offer? And He answers every prayer that we offer. The thing is, is often the things we're asking for are not what, what he's doing in that situation. That healing that we ask for that didn't come. Or other things uh, in life. And, and we, we start to wonder, and then, but when we step back, our prayers are not so much about changing God's mind as they are about uh, changing our heart into alignment with his perfect will. And so, Matthew Henry, old school commentator, it is not my prayer that fetched the deliverance. You like that? It's not my prayer that fetched the deliverance, but it's his mercy that sent it. And mercifully, God who knows everything 
answers every one of our needs. And as I said earlier, not always in this lifetime. But he always, always cares for the needs of his people and brings them to himself. And so we experience that deliverance, that uh, bringing us out of the flood into the place of abundance there in verse 12. You brought us out into a place of abundance, and what could be more abundant than the very presence of the living God? And that's our hope, and that's our goal. That's, that's what we live for, is to be in the very presence of the living God. See, he's not as much concerned about my comfort as he is about his glory. His glory. Now, mercifully, I get all kinds of comfort, as do you in many ways. We're sitting in a comfortable auditorium. That's from his hand. We get lots of comforts in life. But his number one goal in everything that is and everything he does is the glory and exaltation of Christ. And if part of that is, then his saints are going to suffer and bring glory to Christ because they refuse to not believe. I believe, no matter what. When some of the finest, greatest work ever done by the saints are in those needs of, uh, at the end, when they die well, because the Lord God is who I'm trusting for my eternity, no matter what. And that preaches all our lives. God is to be, or Jesus Christ is to be exalted no matter what. And the psalmist here uh, even in this Old Testament context, it's the glory of the living God there in verse 2. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Isn't that amazing? And then he uses just regular people like us to bring glory to his name. Even the angels long to look into this stuff. <laughs> Remember Peter? And there's wonder at what God is doing as he glorifies himself through the saints. Come and, come and see. Well, I have, uh, as we think through this a little bit, um, I have three application points that I'd like us to consider. So here's the first one. Uh, the call to come and see the works of God, there in verse 5, come and see the works of God, who's awesome in his deeds towards the Son of Man. Come and see the works of God. That's a universal call. That's a call to all the earth, all of humanity, all of the angelic and, and spiritual beings. Come and see the works of God, of, of God. It's a call for the earth to acknowledge his mighty acts of provision. An article that I read here just in the last week or so, um, this particular author was just talking about the lack of gratitude that he sees today, and in some ways even infecting the church, it can infect our hearts, and we start to assume, we start to take for granted, we get a sense of entitlement, and you know, I'm owed this, or, or something, and we lose that sense of gratitude, and we forget that it's all from the hand of the living God. Come and acknowledge the mighty acts of provision of the living God, but particularly the provision of salvation 
in Christ, the greatest act by the Lord God in all of history, that God would become man and then become a curse so that we could become the righteousness of God through him. If you are here or online and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, the comfort that this psalmist here is offering us that, that's not yours. You can't find that outside of Christ. It's not just a, an act of my will that I'm going to have a stiff upper lip and I'm just going to face life. It's not that. It's, it's the, the confidence that I have because of what Christ has done for me and he's my Lord and I know him. And no matter what, nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus my Lord, Romans 8. And that's my confidence. And we want that for you. If you don't know Christ, man, please let us know. We'd be more than happy to help you. I know Pastor John and Preston, and there are many others here who'd be love to help you to understand who Christ is and what he's done for you. Want you to have that salvation. Number two, this is for the saints. This, this can be a hard one. Is your worship of God filled with praise for his providential oversight of your life? Is your worship of God filled with praise for his providential oversight of your life? Providential, his purposeful sovereignty in your life. He's the one who brought you into the fire, but he's the one that also provides the deliverance. And is there praise for his providential oversight? In your life, it's something that that we should ponder on and reflect on and realize that some of the the great struggles that I face, he's my only deliverance, he's my only hope, and I look to him. And ultimate healing uh, may come when I see him face to face. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Something I want to ask us to think about this whole subject of uh, divine sovereignty and then uh, right away people want to talk about human free will and we're not going to answer that question but something that to think about uh, along with this when when we talk about divine sovereignty or God's providential working in our life and when we get all in a frazzle about free choice and all of that, uh, please never ever talk in terms of fate. Fate is a pagan Greek concept. Fate says what is, is, or what will be, will be. There's even been songs written about it. Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Kesara and all the foolishness. That's a pagan Greek concept, please never go down that road when you're talking about the living God. Divine sovereignty says whatever a just and holy God says is best is what's going to be best because it's a just and a holy and a righteous God. And it's not fate. It's a, it's a, it's a, a, a holy God. Don't get stuck into that trap. Number three. Church, are you inclined to say to others, come and hear, and I'll tell of what he's done for my soul. Let me tell you about what he's done for my soul. I'm in the middle of a great struggle right now, and I'm struggling, and I'm hurting, but God is good. 
Let me tell you about that time he delivered me from fill in your blank. And are you inclined, as verse 16, come and see all who fear God talking about the saints, and I'll tell of what he's done for my soul and giving glory for God, to God for what he's done and is doing and will do in your life. Come and hear. It's what we do. It's one of the glories of the church. It's why in the midst of a war-torn place like over there in Ukraine, and uh, one of our guys at church is a director for Send International, and that part of the world is part of his umbrella. And the church over there is praising, and bombs are coming in. Because God is good. And absent from the body is present with the Lord. They're being tested. But are you inclined to say, come and hear, and I'll tell of what he's done for my soul is God is good all the time.